You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Bright sunny morning here in Newmarket, the home of British Racing, where I'm based today. It's Wednesday, June the 7th, not too far away from Royal Ascot. Not just one of the marquee meetings here in Britain, but anywhere in the world. And we'll be going round the world in search of Ascot clues during the course of this episode. Most notably from James McDonald, the star Australian rider who is Berkshire bound again. He's coming up very shortly. But first of all, as I welcome in uh, Mirror journalist David Yates, to the programme today. Uh, David, how worried are we that Ascot could be beset by the same anxiety and the same issues around protesters as we were in the lead-up to Epsom? I think we should definitely be concerned. Uh, Driving away from Epsom on Saturday night, I felt a palpable sense of relief that uh, the derby had gone as, as well as it did. But I think one would be kidding oneself, Nick, if one thought that that was the end of the matter. Uh, clearly, it's not going to be. Royal Ascot is every bit as much a flagship meeting, and more so, in fact, than uh, than the Derby. And so it's sure to be targeted by Animal Rising protested once again. A director of racing at Public Affairs at Ascot is Nick Smith, a regular on, on the podcast. Nick, to, to what extent, given what we've seen this year, is there a heightened sense of vigilance ahead of, of Royal Ascot? There's always a heightened sense of vigilance. It's obviously been a a high-profile event. Um, Members of the royal family in attendance, and and from one year to another, there there seems to be something that is that is on the on the public and and security and safety radar. Um, But of course, this year we have the specific threat of um, of of, uh, animal rising and and similar protests, and and, and of course we're making preparations and and thinking through our plans um, uh, with regard to that. From a from an outsider's point of view, just watching on at, at the weekend, I'm sure you were watching on with, with great interest. Uh, what did you make of the of the operation that went into you know, mainly quelling animal rising on the downs? Yeah, no, I was there at the derby on Saturday, and uh, and of course you, you couldn't fail to be impressed by the way that the whole enterprise was dealt with. I mean, it was an exemplary performance by the police in the morning to make those arrests to to sort of uh, to assuage, if you like, the uh, the, the serious uh, potential um, threat to, to the race. And then, of course, the one protester who got on was dealt with um, extremely well. I mean, we we had a, a protest ourselves uh, the year before the pandemic. That's right. Cool, where we had uh, three or four. Um, members of the public protesting um, uh, for, uh, on behalf of one of the ecological uh, groups and, and we, we were able to deal with that pretty quickly and, and we all have tried and tested methods in place. Of course security is heightened uh, according to any particular threat or any particular uh, group that you might be focusing on but uh, you know you can't you can't uh, guarantee avoiding it um, you can only hope and uh, and prepare for um for the for, for what might come and in Epsom's case they they had enough security to quell that um track in in, in invasion very very quickly um and the race was run um a brilliant winner was seen and everyone moved on infrastructurally we talked a lot about the grand national and a huge site there epsom a big area of common land infrastructure wise is ascot actually quite a hard place to breach like that 
Well, there's lots of parking in the centre of the course. Everybody knows that, and uh, you know it's a, it's a huge site. I think ultimately, with, with all of these major venues, I mean, even look at the Chelsea Flower Show with the just stop oil protests. Um, you know, you look at the Crucible Theatre. You know, every everyone is is potentially a victim to protest, and and I don't think you can ever 100% ring fence any venue. So uh, they all have their individualities, their quirks, um, and you just have to work around. You know, whichever whatever situation you're presented with, really. But reasonable to suggest that that what's on the horizon at the moment is uppermost in everybody's mind. Of course, I mean it's it's in the news. It's the topic of of, of, of the day. Uh, there are several um, uh, extremist groups operating, um, whether in tandem or not, I'm not sure, but operating at the same time um, with a similar kind of disruptive threat, and and it's on everyone's minds. It's priority number one, of course, uh, alongside the, the the main priority of of, of you know security and, and protection that comes with every royal meeting. Uh, Nick, let's talk a little bit about the the action on the track and recruiting horses from further afield has always been right at the top of your priority list. Just a, a quick checklist at the moment of of what we've got. So, um, three Austra- the three Australian horses that haven't left the country yet leave in about an hour <laughs> from Melbourne Airport, which you'll be familiar with, um, and they will fly into to London. Um, in, in about 36 hours. Uh, that's Kulangata, the star five furlong horse who won the Lightning Stakes back in February. Uh, she's the number one sprinter. Uh, she's certainly the number one five furlong sprinter in Australia. She beat I Wish I Win, who went on to win the TJ over six furlongs. Um, and he's, he's, he looks like he's probably the best six furlong horse. So her form is pretty, is pretty impressive. Um, she's a much younger horse than Nature Strip, but comes with a similar profile. I mean, Lightning Stakes winners have a phenomenal record at Royal Ascot. I think six of them have won at Royal Alaska, which is which is really quite something. So she's the she's the star act for the, the Eustace and Martin. Uh, alongside her is um, Artorius, who we saw last year. He's much improved. And Cannonball, we heard from James Harron on the podcast last week as well. The three-year-old wouldn't be as high profile, but potentially came out of the recent track gallop as the most impressive one in that. But uh, interpreting the track gallops is a, is, a, is a dark art in itself. Those uh, those jump outs, um, and of course the astrologist is already here um, and runs in runs at Haydock on on Saturday as a final prep towards towards Royal Ascot. So that's the Aussies, and they obviously add so much to the picture. We know uh, you spoke with um, Richard Gibson yesterday on the. On the so your colleague spoke with Richard uh, Gibson on the on the uh, on the pod yesterday, and and he's all systems go with Wellington, but Ryan Moore, um, which is excellent news because Ryan won on him uh, when he was uh, when he won the Champions Sprint Prize last year in Hong Kong, and his form. Um, funny enough, I was speaking to Ryan about it the other day. And his form is a length, two lengths behind uh, Lucky Swainess, and and there wouldn't be many horses in the world that can get within two lengths of Lucky Swainess. So on a very stiff six furlong track that this horse having been a, 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 a seven furlong winner in Hong Kong is going to take some beating and then of course there's a whole team of American two-year-olds and, and various others coming so it's, it's exciting. Nick Smith there director of racing and public affairs at Ascot latterly talking about the international challenge more of which in a moment but uh, primarily talking about the the threat posed to the to the meeting Dave and it, it's not really a surprise that there's nobody um, sleeping at their desks at Ascot at the moment. No, absolutely. Well, Nevin Truesdale of the Jockey Club, when you interviewed him on Sunday, on Luck on Sunday, he said that uh, the threat hadn't gone away and that this would make Animal Rising's protesters all the more determined. And 
I think that view is a very hard one to disagree with. I think they suffered some reputational damage over the weekend, Nick. I think that is worth pointing out, the red line of not going on the track uh, during the race uh, was broken when Ben Newman uh, ran on at the furlong pole. And then there was the issue of the fake news when later on Saturday night, Animal Rising claimed that uh, the, the BHA had decided to run the race, even though there was someone already on the track. And we, those of us who were there, and that's uh, we know that that isn't the case. And I think that's backed up by uh, television's time codes. I, I think that the events of, of Saturday will uh, spur them on to more determined efforts. I'm, I'm sure there were protesters at Royal Ascot last year, and I, I don't imagine that uh, a, a relatively unsuccessful a Saturday Derby Day for Animal Rising. And I'm not saying that trying to score points. I'm just saying that as an observation. Um, I, I'm sure that, that that will not be an end to the matter and there will be more to come. I, I, I spoke to some Animal Rising uh, representatives at the, at the peaceful demonstration on Saturday. And again, they're in it for the long haul. I think that uh, whilst I don't agree with what they say, and I think that, the way that it's expressed is sometimes misguided. Uh, there's no doubt that they're very committed to the cause and, and this will certainly uh, play on during the summer and very likely beyond. All right. Well, one man uh, who will have high hopes of uh, success at Royal Ascot again is James McDonald. He's over with the, the good Australian horses, Cool uh, and Gatter, Artorias, and maybe more, and a sprinkling, no doubt, uh, of horses from the UK because he normally gets on some pretty good ones. Uh, James I, I not, don't need to ask you whether you're looking forward to Royal Ascot. Perhaps I should ask how much this year? Yeah, for sure. It's one of the best carnivals anywhere around the world. And it's the one I really want to pencil in most years, and if, if I can, any any year. But, um, yeah, really looking forward to it, especially after having a little bit of luck last year. Um, hopefully we can have a little bit this year and um, boot home a winner or two. All right, so the big Aussie hopes this year. Okay, there isn't a horse with the profile of Nature Strip, but Gatta heads the market. Now, she did a bit of work last week that people weren't that impressed with. Is that anything we need to worry about or not really? Um, oh, look, we, we would have loved to have seen her do a, 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 a tad more, but in saying that, they run extremely fast time, um, a lot faster than what we probably anticipated in that particular heat, and um, she had a, a really good blow afterwards. Um, her form lines are pretty good, and um, especially especially drawing a line through Nature Strip last year. Um, obviously, he was a, a bit of a wrecking ball up there, and she wasn't. She her, she's an up and coming sprinter, so we're looking forward to producing her up the five furlongs, and I think it'll be really tailor made for her. But um, yeah, well, look, I think. She's trained by a very good trainer, and I'm I'm sure she wouldn't be hopping on the plane if they weren't confident. And is she one that you can just let rip, or do you do you have to hold on given that that stiff finish? No, she's very controllable for a, a five furlong sprinter. Um, she can she can sit up anywhere, um, take a lead, sit right on on speed. So she's very tractable, um, very economical sort of filly who, who wears a heart on her sleeve, and she'll give her give her all. So yeah, she's pretty self-explanatory, and um, I, I I think um, nothing really really phase her. She'll be a little bit um, hypo in the in the parade ring, probably especially with the big crowd, but in saying that, once she gets on the track, she's a she's a darling to ride. 
and looking at, at Artorius, he, he's a horse who was making his own bad luck a lot last year. But talking to the, the trainers that seem to think that, that he's he's kind of grown up a little bit. Is that the way it looks to you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're spot on. And, and his, his form suggests that as well. His form, his last two runs here in Australia were sensational. Um, obviously, not far behind um, Animo in a 1,500-metre race. And then he, she, he knocked off a very good sprinter over 1,300 at Royal Ramwick, which was a sensational win. And he's in career-best form. He looks great. He's feeling fantastic, and um, I think he's in better form coming up this year than he did last year, and he ran extremely well. So we're very optimistic that he'll run extremely well. Are you aware at the moment of any of any nice rides coming your way from your usual UK allies? Obviously, Charlie Hills normally tries to get you on a few. Uh, you've ridden winners for Sir Michael Stout. Are there any? Are there any in the pipeline at the moment? Um, yeah, there's been there's been a, a, a little flow of. Um, Right, coming through, I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm, we're pretty lucky. There's there's a lot of Australian connections who have horses up there that have, they've purchased and left there just for Royal Ascot, and maybe they'll venture down um, to Australia eventually. So I th- I think I've, I've I've been in touch with George Bowie, who was lucky enough to ride a winner for last year. So hopefully, we'll he'll throw me, throw me one, or and uh, Joseph O'Brien, who's who's got one for Nick and Lloyd Williams. So just a little um, a sprinkle around the edges, and obviously Charlie, who, who's my great pal. So yeah, we're looking forward to just catching up with everyone, and um, yeah, hopefully um, we get a bit of luck. James McDonald, there, a brilliant rider, as I said at the moment, uh, the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings leading rider in the world, narrowly from Irad Ortiz and a rapidly rising Ryan Moore once again. Uh, to me, Dave, the, the international participants had so much to Royal Ascot. We've spoken about this so many, so often before, but there are so few jockeys in the world who can so readily adapt to so many different surrounds. He most certainly is one of them. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's incredible in that sense, isn't he? Um, we've seen him successful at Royal Ascot, latterly, of course, with Nature Strip in the Kingstand Stakes last year. Probably... Just about any member of the weighing room could have won on Nature Strip that day. I don't think you needed to be um, James McDonald in order uh, to secure that particular prize. But as you say, um, he is uh, a rider who is extremely adaptable. Of course, he did ride in Britain uh, briefly a few years ago, and and hence his uh, strong relationship with the Hills family. Um, I, I wonder if that might be... Uh, reignited during the five days of Royal Ascot. But yeah, he, he's now, as you say, according to the uh, the rankings, the world's leading jockey. And he's, from a, from a media perspective, it, it, he's a dream, Nick, isn't he? He's really uh, a very easy interview. What he says is interesting, eloquent, uh, very quotable. And um, I'm sure we'll be putting him in the, the spotlight again at some point during the five days of Royal Ascot the week after next. Well, if you go back to episode 338 of this podcast, all the way back in the autumn of 2021, you'll see that we featured a horse called Subjectivist, who you'll know well. He'd won that year's Gold Cup at Ascot. He'd also broken down after that race. It looked as though his career would end. Conceivably, there might have been a place at stud for him. But on that day... Episode 338, owner Dr. Jim Walker broke the news that the horse might return to training in 2022 sometime. It didn't quite happen that he made the track in 2022, but he did come back 
earlier this year in Saudi Arabia to not much effect and then Dubai to quite significant effect when he finished an excellent third in the Dubai Gold Cup, a race he'd won two years previously. Now, can he um, do the unthinkable and return to Ascot and regain the Gold Cup that he won so spectacularly two years ago? Well, Jim Walker rejoins me. Jim, it's been quite a story. I thought it was worth chronicling again. Um, What a journey you've been on with Subjectivist. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, it is obviously very special to, to the Johnson team and to me, <laughs> particularly to me. But uh, we really just had to give it another go and see whether or not he could come back from the injury. And the two runs this year have proven that he can. Um, how many runs we get out of him going forward is still a question mark. But uh, he's, uh, he's in good form and he's, uh, he's buying there. And I suppose the obvious question, and we know that he he's shown so much of his form in Dubai, but during all that period he was off, to what extent were you were you always retaining the faith that he could come back? Well, it was uh, really a, a shot in the dark, Nick. Uh, we we um, obviously the injury was quite bad, but it was just really a case of of putting him away for a year, um, as it was actually more like 15, 15 months um, with no one uh, sitting in his back out in a field most of the time uh, certainly during the summer uh, and allowing the injury to heal uh, and of course there's always a, a, a difference in the tendon uh, after that kind of injury but uh, we, we gave it the amount of time that uh, is recommended and then brought back into training and so far, so good. Touchwood, he's stood up to the training. And you would think as well, two hard races in, in Saudi and, and Dubai and the travelling. And it, it, What does it say for his constitution that he could get out there and do that, come back and still show the appetite for it? Yeah, well, that's the amazing thing. In Saudi Arabia, um, I think you might remember, I'm sure you were there, uh, he really ran with a chokeout. Uh, he'd been off for 640 days. Um, it, it was it was a big ask, but uh, I mean he was just desperate to go in with things. Uh, he's a horse with an amazing appetite for running, uh, and he just loves to to go out there and bowl along. Now he he went far too fast and uh, paid the penalty in the last furlong and a half. He just uh, tired. But by the time we got him to Dubai, um, I, I mean most of the. Uh, the keenness was gone uh, he didn't quite settle as well as we might have liked and he still ran a, a very good time um, actually if you take the, 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 the winners uh, out of the equation um, his uh, finishing spot in third would have broken his own track record um, from two years previously uh, that's how fast they went and how uh, how much we set it up for the, the closers that day um, but it, it, he, he was as good as ever uh, in Dubai so you know he re- retains an amazing amount of enthusiasm uh, as a six year old and now hopefully all the keenness is gone and he's reunited with Joe Fanning who rides him out almost every day uh, knows him exceptionally well and he's the one guy that can calm him down and you go to Ascot uh, in a couple of weeks now we, we hope if, if all stays well between now and then with, with what kind of level of confidence he's a he's a double figure price uh, and the field doesn't have a Stradivarius and and doesn't have a Kiprios 
Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm very happy with the price at the moment. Uh, I was even happier when it was a, a bit bigger in the last month or two. Uh, I wouldn't say I've put very much money on them, but uh, there's certainly money down. And, uh, I mean, uh, it's really just a, a question of uh, can you retain the, uh, a wee bit of that old ability and the Dubai ability over two miles, four furlongs. Still a big ask again for them. Um, and the fingers are well and truly crossed, but uh, uh, I don't think I would be that afraid of anything else in the race at the moment that's uh, left in at this stage. Jim Walker there, and you can understand why subjectivist is a horse so close to his heart. And he making the case at the end of the interview, Dave, that, you know, double figure odds, 10, 12, 14 to 1, have been have been very, very tempting for him over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. Um, this horse had, it was 618 days off uh, between his five-length victory in the 2021 Gold Cup at Royal Ascot and his reappearance in Saudi Arabia in February. Um, there is obviously still something to prove. He ran well in the Dubai Gold Cup. He was beaten five lengths in third behind Broome. But look at the horses ahead of him in the market here, Nick. Uh, Coltrane, Eldar Eldaroff, Emily Dickinson, Haskoy, Broome. And then sixth in is subjectivist at those double-figure odds. Now, um, the horses ahead of him in the betting, they've all got something to prove in that respect, as, of course, has subjectivist. He's got to prove that he's as good as he was a couple of years ago. What we do know about him, though, is that he was very well served by the unique demands of the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot. Uh, He was a thunderously impressive winner that day. A lot of us, I know, were afterwards were talking about the uh, the traffic problems that Frankie de Torre had had on Stradivarius, but the the, the reigning uh, title holder would not have won with a clear run. He wouldn't have beaten Subjectivist. This horse hasn't matched that form in two starts yet, but we feel that he's heading in the right direction. And you know, it's it's very likely going to be two and a half miles fast ground when well, it will be two and a half miles and very likely quick ground uh we know that that those conditions are absolutely ideal for subjectivist he produced his career best that afternoon and so i'm not surprised that the owners tempted one stable in the north of england with high hopes of a big success a big return is that of julie camacho not only does she run the former royal runner tactical but more significantly perhaps shaquille in the commonwealth cup is now a single figure price following a devastating performance in the carnarvon stakes at newbury on the 20th of may and julie's with me now at the the top of your gallops are you waiting for him julie i am yeah and tell me this he's he's a horse who is a a real enthusiast to put it mildly on the race course what's he like at home Good. He's as good as gold at home. I mean, he's a Colts girl, so he can be a little bit nippy, but nothing he's very good to do with. You know, you, you take him to the walk on a head collar, you know, and he goes out in his paddock every night. And he's, he's a dream. Paige rides him every day and absolutely loves him to bits. And he's a good ride at home. You know, he's not keen at home. I mean, as a two-year-old early on, he was definitely not impressive. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't impress you a lot at home. He gets up sides then he becomes a different horse. But on his own, he's 
you know, just he'll lob away. And if you wanted him to walk up the gallop, he'd be quite happy to do so. It's a different horse when he gets racing. I mean, he took us by surprise when he went to York first time and he was naughty then. You've, you've trained some really, really talented sprinters, you know, horses who are well up to stakes class, group class, some even borderline you know, group one class. Where where do you rate him, do you think, in, in terms of pure ability? It's hard to say, isn't it? You know, his, his acid test is going to be at Ascot, isn't it? Um Everything he's done so far with us, he's been great. And he's, he's just got to relax and we just hope in a better company they'll go faster and, you know, give James chance to, you know, switch him off. I, I mentioned Tactical, who who went to the Royal Meeting a ton of times with big royal hopes because was owned by Her Late Majesty the Queen, a horse that you've picked up at the at the, at the horses in training sale. How hopeful are you that, that there is a bit left in, in this horse's career? Yeah, I mean, when we got him, he was quite a nasty character and um, we cut him and he's changed massively. You know, it's been a massive change for him, thank goodness, because he was, you know, quite, yeah, he was nasty, to be honest. Um, But he gets turned out every day now. Um, He's had a wind up and yeah, we're hopeful, very hopeful with him. He does, yeah, he heads to the working on the Saturday. Julie Camacho, they're hoping that Shaquille can harness that natural exuberance and produce a performance of note in the Commonwealth Cup. I mean, Julie bemoaning the horse's um, uh, hooligan tendencies on the course while contrasting them there, Dave, to his calmness off it and out of competition. But he's explosive in a good way when he gets rolling. Yeah, he really is. Uh, Remember, this horse was withdrawn from the all-weather finals day at, at Newcastle at the start of April, which must have been hugely frustrating for his connections because uh, he was on a roll at the end of 2022 but he's picked up again hasn't he that uh, victory at Newmarket at uh, on the 2000 on the 2000 guineas undercard followed up at Newbury enlisted level and there's definitely more to come from this horse one of the things we talk about the uh, international challenge at Royal Ascot Nick but just as important I think from the uh, a, a media perspective is the human interest story or uh, the human interest stories surrounding the, if you like, the smaller players. I don't mean that in any disrespectful way uh, to Julie Camacho and her operation, but look at the, uh, it's the usual suspects again at the head of the betting uh, for the Commonwealth Cup. Little Big Bear, of course, trained by Aidan O'Brien. We've got Sakir for uh, the Crispids too. And this would be, a noteworthy victory, wouldn't it? We, it, the uh, life, sport, horse racing—they're all enlivened uh, by the victories of of the so-called smaller concerns, and this would be one. But uh, Shaquille should not be underestimated. He's very much on an upward curve. He would be—he'll st- be stepping up to Group One level uh, for the first time here. But we know that he's a rattling good six furlong sprinter. If Little Big Bear uh, was slightly flattered by the, the way that uh, the race was run at Haydock in the Sandy Lane, then this blows that race wide open and Shaquille certainly is a player. So that wraps up our news ahead of, of Royal Ascot. Uh, Belmont Stakes news and Hong Kong to come. First though, David, we must wish Joe Somerez smith well. Joe is the chair of the British Horse Racing Authority. Yesterday he announced he would continue in that role uh, in spite of receiving treatment for lung cancer. Yeah, very concerning news indeed. And uh, shocking news. Um, Joe Saunders-Smith, 
reported yesterday, as you say, that he will uh, continue as chair uh, of the British Horse Racing Authority, uh, despite that diagnosis that he spoke about yesterday. Um, very concerning, very worrying news. Uh, he, he's a man who's shown incredible fortitude in his professional life, and I'm sure that will serve him well over the coming weeks and months. And it goes without saying, Nick, that um, he has all our, our very best wishes for uh, the fight that lies ahead. All right, Belmont Stakes this weekend, of course. Uh, the Preakness winner national treasure going for two legs of the Triple Crown and has drawn stall four in a small but select field. How much tougher is his task than it was in the Preakness? The man to ask is SF Racing's Tom Ryan, who put the ownership partnership together and to whom we spoke after the Preakness. Uh, Tom, what do you think? How much tougher is this race going to be for him? Look, it's a t definitely a tougher assignment. It's a, it's a distance test, um, the test of champions, as they say. Uh, you know, you're coming in here against um, three or four other grade one winners now with Forte and Tampa Trice and Angel of Empire. You know, they're all very, very, you know, they're top class animals. So uh, everything will have to go, everything will have to go right. And I, look, we're very pleased with how things have worked out up there the last couple of weeks. Um, Johnny V breezed him last week and Eric Garcia came in with Jimmy Barnes and breezed him yesterday. You know, both breezes went great. Yesterday's breeze was really clockwork. Um, got over that surface perfect and seems to have come out of it very well. You know, he was a very happy horse last night and given all the signs that he's uh, he's he's ready to uh, ready to fire again. When you're weighing up the, the race and weighing up what advantages one horse might have over the other, what do you think's your edge? Look, there's no secret that he does seem to have natural speed that he can carry. His father quality road had that. Um, and if you've got speed that can carry on dirt, it makes you, uh, you know, it, it makes you dangerous in a lot of ways. Um, I do feel like, you know, Outside of the horse's qualities, we've got Johnny V riding him. Johnny V is a great man to make a, a snap decision out of a gate and uh, call an audible if he needs to. So I, I feel like we're in, a, we're in a good spot here with a jock that has confidence in a horse and a horse that has seemed to adapt very well to the surface up there. So, you know, look, we just wish the same for everyone, a, a, a fair and square break and uh, a, a clean race. And of course, you you ran through some of the key dangers. Forte, we know, has beaten just about every horse in this race at some stage or another, and has been laid away off the off the Derby and the and the Preakness for reasons we all know. Um, Tappet Trice has been everyone's Belmont selection since about December. Every wise guy in the world, and an Angel of Empire ran a terrific race in the Kentucky Derby and was a bit unlucky. Which of those do you think poses the biggest threat, or which one do you have the most respect for? Look, I have enormous respect for Forte, and I have enormous respect for Todd Pletcher's operation. You know, if Todd feels that this horse is fit and ready, I just would I would not underestimate that. You know, everybody can say that he's been off for nine weeks and he's had this and this, but again, Todd Pletcher has uh, he's been in this spot before. He knows what it takes. Um, Tapa Trice definitely has the uh, makings of a Belmont horse. There's no question about it. Um, he again is, you know, he's a horse coming out of a great barn that potentially, you know, we'll see we'll see what kind of setup he gets here. 
you know, Saez is also a very good good rider, and he's he seemed to be able to get the most out of this horse. So um, I wouldn't underestimate either of those two horses. And Tom, did the afterglow from the Preakness last a good while? It's still here. It's still here. Um, you know, winning classics is a. Uh, it's something that it's just it's it's an extraordinary feeling. We've been very fortunate to win to win lots of you know but and, and some wonderful races around the world. But it really felt amazing to have the team back together. It almost felt like it was our first major gathering post COVID, where everybody got to be there and we got to cheer and scream. And we were we were standing right behind you, <laughs> and it, it was it was a priceless moment you know it's a moment that I, I i really it was emotional and and i felt i felt so good about it and you know because we've always believed in this horse and it was we were disrupted you know we had to transfer to tim we had to do a lot of different things the horse had a foot bruise so like you know we had a couple of bumps in the road and in fairness to Tim, he deserves some credit here too because he was a good steward and he got this horse through that setback. He got him to the Santa Anita Derby and he delivered him back to Bob in the kind of shape where Bob could just move forward and and point him right at the Preakness and have him peak right there. Tom Ryan there from SF Racing with high hopes of national treasure to add a Belmont Stakes to his Preakness victory the other week. And our American Triple Crown coverage continues to come to you courtesy of Qatar Racing. They themselves will have high hopes of a win this weekend at Belmont Park with the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint with a Caravelle who takes in the big race there rather than coming to Royal Ascot in a couple of weeks' time. Now we are off to Hong Kong. Hi, Nick. There are more than a few heavy hearts in Hong Kong this week with news of the pending closure of Cranji Racecourse and the end of racing in Singapore. That's 180 years of history down the gurgler at the stroke of a government official's pen. It's like getting news that one of your favourite cousins has been diagnosed terminally ill and dying. Singapore is three hours from Hong Kong by plane, but its links with Hong Kong go way back. In fact, what we now know as the Hong Kong International Races, the HKIR, which take place each December, had its humble beginnings as an invitational meeting with horses from the Singapore-Malaysia circuit supplying the international element as they competed with Hong Kong's best. Ivan Allen was a Singaporean trainer who did particularly well out of those early internationals, so much so that he got together an owner base and gained a license in Hong Kong where he went on to be a multiple champion. Singapore also acted as a stepping stone to Hong Kong for Douglas White, who would jet in from South Africa for a weekend of racing in the Lion City every so often. And also Joe Marrera dominated in Singapore before the lure of Hong Kong finally saw him move base. The other loss for Hong Kong owners and trainers is the big Singaporean races that were plundered by them over the years. Casper Founds won three Chris Flyer sprints, and John Moore loved winning the Singapore Airlines International Cup. Yes, sad news, and also a warning to all jurisdictions that in a rapidly changing world, constant and ongoing dialogue with government is imperative. Now, some breaking news. Lucky Swainess, the world's top sprinter, according to this week's Thoroughbred Racing Commentary rankings, is going to attempt a record when he runs next in a seven-furlong race at Sha Tin 
on June the 25th. He did win very well at the weekend. He's out to become the most prolific winner in a single season when he tries for his ninth win of the Hong Kong season. And at present, he shares that record of eight with Beauty Generation. Well, enough of that. Let's go on to Happy Valley today. We've got nine races for you. It's very a very tricky meeting indeed. My best is in race eight, number six, Season's Wit, trained by Jamie Richards and ridden by Zach Purton. He'll be short and he'll need a little bit of luck in running, but I think he'll win this uh, Class 3 sprint over five furlongs. In the last race, Number four, Reward Smile. Take him in a, a tote swinger with number six, Eat Universe, uh, for the finale at Happy Valley today. That's all on the Hong Kong Beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me. And David, you just have a tip for me for this afternoon. Yeah, we're going to the 345 race at... Newbury this afternoon, Nick, and it's number five, Hydration. This horse is trained by Harry and Roger Charlton. Two turf runs thus far have been on soft ground. I think this horse will be well served by quicker terrain this afternoon. If that's the case, I think that a mark of 75 is there to be shot at on his handicap debut. 3.45 race at Newbury selection number five, Hydration. Rehydrate before you dehydrate. Hydration for David Yates. Wednesday, June the 7th. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.